Have you ever experienced frustration in professional settings because you have failed to express yourself or because others silence you when you do so? And in other instances, have you ever seen others obtain opportunities and promotion because they toot their own horns while you are passed over because you failed to do so? Well, I have some solutions for you. In today's episode, we are focusing on self-empowerment and the importance of self-advocacy. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone with Ramona Houston, where we zone in on black and brown relations and our journey to empowering our communities. Today, I'm having a conversation with Neelu Kaur, author of Be Your Own Cheerleader, an Asian and South Asian woman's cultural, psychological, and spiritual guide to self-promote at work. According to Nilu, individuals, especially those from cultures that honor collectivism versus individualism, must be more conscious about developing self-advocacy strategies and practices. Enjoy our conversation and see show notes for more information about Nilu and how you can purchase her book, Be Your Own Cheerleader. As always, please subscribe to the Empowerment Zone podcast and give us a rating on Apple Podcast. Your support will ensure that we continue our journey in empowerment and impact. Thank you. Enjoy our conversation. So today on the Empowerment Zone, we are talking about self-empowerment and how you as an individual can be your own cheerleader. I was a cheerleader in high school and junior high. And so, you know, it's all about taking care of yourself because the only way you're going to be able to make your unique social impact in the world is if you're healthy and if you're healthy mentally, physically, and spiritually. So today we are talking to Nilu Kaur uh, and she is here uh, to talk about how we as women can be our own cheerleaders. Hi, uh, Nilu. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about having you. I'm a big advocate for health uh, and wellness. Uh, I have my own personal ritual every morning uh, where I get connected to my spirit and then I go and exercise. Today, it was a morning swim. I lap swam and then uh, come back and then uh, uh get mentally prepared to do mm -hmm. my work. And so I'm really happy to have you here today because self-advocacy is so important, especially for women. So um, before we get into that deep conversation about self-advocacy yeah. and how women can be our own cheerleaders, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got into uh, the field of uh, helping people and helping others in terms of self-empowerment. Yes. So I'm a, an author, facilitator, and executive coach, and I focus on at the intersection of leadership and well-being and mental health and well-being, specifically focused on AAPI professionals and underrepresented voices. And so I think I for me, the reason I got into the work of mental health and well-being was because of my own personal struggles. I used to have debilitating panic attacks, and I was determined to figure out, you know, routines and 
rituals that would help me, different therapies that would help me. So that was really what led me down the path of mental health and well-being. And then the reason I really got into self-advocacy and the reason I wrote my book, Be Your Own Cheerleader, is because I absolutely sucked at self-advocacy in corporate America. I was always getting downsized. I was getting fired. I would quit. I just didn't have a voice to really speak up when silenced. And I and through the past 15 years as I've been coaching women, I've noticed that it wasn't just me. It's a it, there's a phenomenon between not just being a woman, but also certain cultures that we come from. And for me as an Indian woman in the US, there's there's a there's some common denominators in the AAPI community around why self-advocacy and self-promotion is so challenging. And so that was really the driver to to dive deep into my research in my book and also help AAPI women. Yeah. So if you don't mind, I'd really like to delve into something personal that you mentioned about panic attacks. A lot of people mm -hmm. don't really want to address that or they think it's something that they only experience. So we can really learn from other people. What was it about the panic attacks that, um, what led to them? What were what 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 were the things mm -hmm. that motivated them? And then how was it expressed? And then how did you learn to deal with it? Just so we can help others who may um, suffer from panic attack. You know, I think for me they started so young. I was I think I had them starting as a child, and I just didn't have the vocabulary. And then coming from immigrant parents, it was just something mental health was not discussed in the home. It was dismissed. It was like, no, 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 just take a nap or go to sleep. You'll feel better. And so I really didn't feel safe to share that I was having this experience. And I literally, I I describe it as feeling like you're in quicksand and not able to get out. So my breath would become really shallow and I couldn't, I couldn't even, my, my mind would just be all over the place. So focus was not available to me. I could, I found it very difficult to breathe and I just didn't have the vocabulary. It was only as an adult that I realized like that was actually, those are called panic attacks. And I know everyone has different experiences with them, but that was my experience. And so what were the tools that you used to address them? Yeah. So one thing that I found important to me was my mom has suffered from anxiety and depression most of her adult life. And she's been on very hardcore medications. And I was determined to figure out holistic methodologies for myself, not to say that there that medicine isn't a solution for some people. You absolutely need to be medicated. But I was I thought for myself, I want to look at other alternatives, holistic therapies that would help me. So I that's when I went down the path of yoga. So I now teach yoga. I became an Ayurveda, which is a holistic healing system based in India. I use that with my clients. I've become, you know, very educated in Ayurveda. I went through NLP, which is what I use for coaching, which is neuro-linguistic programming. I also just went on a sort of spiritual journey where I was exploring Kabbalah, Christianity, Judaism. I mean, you name it, I was doing it. I was raised as a Sikh as, and my parents are pretty religious growing up. So I just felt like I didn't have all the answers I needed. And so I was exploring all sorts of different spirituality, religion. Um, so I was on this huge exploration for myself. Thank you for sharing that, because I'm sure that can be influential in helping some other people who are dealing with that type of stress and anxiety, and that everybody has their own journey to find their own solutions. So thank you so much for sharing the solutions that worked for you. Yeah, and I think it's a cocktail. I don't think there's one magic thing or pill that can make 
make you happy. So it is an internal choice that we have to make every morning, just like you were saying, you have a routine that sets you up for success for the day. And so all of us have to figure out what that cocktail, that remedy looks like. And, and for each of us, it's very different. Some days, you know, I need more, I need to do more things for my mental health than other days. So it's, it's really tuning in and asking yourself, like, what do I need in this moment? And really being honest with yourself. So if you are really burned out, you're overwhelmed, like maybe it makes sense to take a mental health day and, uh, you know, take the day off of work. I know that's probably so taboo to say, but we, we really need to tap in and look in the mirror and say, what do I need in this moment and follow through and be honest with ourselves. I love it. And like you stated, it's a day to day journey and right. it includes a lot of different things, like you said, a cocktail, and you must find your own remedy. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yes, absolutely. So you uh, were talking about self-advocacy and, you know, how your voice uh, had been silenced mm -hmm. and that you didn't unsilence it because we all have power, right? People try to silence. Right. Us, but we have to say, no, 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 I have my own voice right. and I will express myself uh, and um, deal with issues that present themselves instead of cowering, if you will. So mm -hmm. uh, you talked about how you recognize through your research that that experience is among a lot of women you know, and mm -hmm. particularly uh, women of color. So can you uh, talk about your research and, and research and what you found and what you discovered and how you use these tools uh, to help others through your executive coaching? Yes. Yeah, so there's, a, there's research on intercultural dimensions that comes from Hofstede. Um, you can, you know, everyone can go to their, to the website. You can do country comparison to see, you know, how U.S. differs from say, Latin American countries, right? So you can come in and sort of look at the different dimensions. But the one I focus on specifically for AAPI community is called individualism versus collectivism. So Asian cultures are very collective, very we-based, and individual cultures are very I-based. So North America, Canada, certain European countries. And so what happens is for those of us that come from we-based countries, we are told to keep our head down, to just do good work and our work will speak for itself. And that is a recipe for disaster in corporate America. So I always say there is an absolute I in team, even though there's not the letter I, but you have to be a part of a team and apart from the team. And so when we come from these we-based cultures, it becomes, it becomes very difficult to self-advocate and to be our own cheerleaders. So one of the tools I talk about is thinking about like a speedometer in a car where you have this dial. And so on one side is the we and one side is the I. So knowing when you have to turn up the we and when you have to turn up the I. And I would love to hear from you, like what your thoughts are about this in terms of the community that you serve. But for me, for example, when I'm in a, in a business development call because I'm a solopreneur, I know I have to talk about myself and my credentials. So I have to turn up the I. But if I'm brought in to do team coaching and um, it's like a group brainstorm, I have to use more we-based things like our shared outcomes, our deliverables, right? But knowing that I have to flex allows me to first have the awareness that, yes, this feels icky to talk about myself, but this is the context in which I need to talk about myself 
my credentials, my background. And then when I'm in a we-based situation, I will say, okay, Neelu, you need to talk more about our shared outcomes and our shared goals which is a lot easier for me than doing the I. And some of us that come from collective cultures, we we tend to live in the we, and it's real hard to turn that speedometer towards the I. But I think if we have that visual when we're about to go into a performance review conversation or any sort of self-advocacy conversation, it's really important to visualize the speedometer and, and know like, hey, I'm talking about my raise or my promotion, things that I really want for myself. So I have to turn up that I dial. I love that analogy uh, in in that example of using the speedometer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that a lot of communities of color, I know, I know that we, you know, have this collective identity, right? And that our cultures promote community empowerment versus uh, the individualistic kind of ideas that. Um, uh, Eurocentric uh, or European countries promote. And it is challenging to go back and forth and more so is challenging for women because women were taught that, you know, if we are bold, if we talk about I, if we're, we're more self-confident or, or, you know, speaking, like I this I it's it's taken differently than what when when men do it right, and then absolutely even more so when it's a woman of color, it comes off differently as well, you know. And so we constantly have to balance um, how we address and raise our voices in in our professional and even personal settings. Uh, to your point. I have found uh, in my research that it is um, challenging for communities of color, men and women, um, to speak up for themselves, to engage their own voices as individuals, but we're more comfortable doing it collectively. And um, I found that I've been impacted by it too. You know, I I don't... um, self-advocate with the I as much as I should. And I even had one of my friends who is a, uh, who's one of my uh, supporters and advocates and a personal coach saying, Ramona, hey, you dim your light by Mm -hmm. uh, not speaking up for yourself or speaking to the total self that you are. So I totally agree with your assessment uh, that we have to use the speedometer Uh, visual, if you will, to know we have to go back and forth between the two and not do all of one or all of the other. Right, right. And just having that knowledge. So knowing before you're about to go into a meeting where you need to turn up the eye, like, okay, I need to talk more about myself, even though I feel it doesn't feel comfortable or like I'm having a visceral reaction that this this feels like I'm boasting, self-boasting, but it's actually not. It's like you said, it's high, it's illuminating your light. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we do that reframe where it's it's like we do we don't want to dim the light, but we know that when we're in a wee situation, maybe the the dimmer switch of that light needs to go down or up. So mm-hmm. I like your analogy as well, your metaphor of the dimmer light. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about uh, your book, uh, Be Your Own Cheerleader, and what you want to accomplish from this book. What are you really focusing on in terms of helping women? 
What's interesting is my, so the lens that I talk about through my book is with the AAPI women. However, I've been getting feedback that this is really applicable and, and relevant to underrepresented voices. I've been getting feedback from neurodivergent folks, like people who just don't know how to self-advocate. And so the idea and the goal was really to give some practical tools. After each chapter, there's actually exercises that we can all do that really help people because it's one thing to know theory and research, but then it's like, how do I implement this in a daily in my daily life when I'm at work in meetings where I'm being silenced? So I talk a lot about different strategies that women can use doesn't matter what background, what cultural background they're from. So let's talk about some of your strategies, you know, we, and and so we can give people a a little appetizer so they'll go out and purchase the book. Yeah, (laughs) I would love that. So, so, uh, so tell us, you know, let's talk about the problem first and then the solution. Mm -hmm. What problem uh, have we faced? And you can talk it, talk about it from a personal and professional level, because there are a lot of people out there who also want to be their own cheerleader in their own homes. Right. Right. Uh, Absolutely. uh, If you could, uh, let's talk about one of the challenges or some of the challenges and then the solution. Yeah. And I love what you said about the personal, because I think how we are in one situation is how we are in all situations that we want to practice being our cheerleader personally and professionally. And so, you know, one of the strategies that I talk about, actually, let's talk about problems. So the problems are that, you know, for me personally, I was getting overlooked for promotions. I was not being asked to do certain things because others, the loudest voice in the room would speak up. And so others would take credit for my work. And I talk about specific examples, you know, in my book for myself and my clients, things that have happened where they were silenced. And I think some of the things we want to think about is yes, that sort of speedometer, the we and the I knowing that, you know, we're, if we are more comfortable in one side of that speedometer, how do we navigate and adjust based on the context? So that's absolutely one strategy. The other one that I think really helps all women, all underrepresented voices is something I called interruption shields, which are essentially, if you think of a shield that you wear, these are words or phrases that help us jump back into conversations. So for example, if you're constantly getting cut off in a meeting or in a conversation, you want to circle back to your idea. So you would say, if I may, or can we circle back to, or can we talk about the point I just made a couple of minutes ago, right? So these are words or phrases that you basically carry in your back pocket. Even though it feels uncomfortable, you start using them personally and professionally so that you feel more comfortable interrupting the flow of conversation in the meeting. Because for some of us, it's challenging to even speak up. So there's a, so I say, you know, look at your, your environment. Is it a formal environment? Is it an informal environment? So for example, when I'm in financial services, when I'm consulting or, or coaching or, or delivering workshops, I will say, if I may, may we circle back to, and if I'm in tech where I can be more of myself, (laughs) I will say, Hey, can we circle back to what I was just talking about? Much less formal, but it works just the same. So I say those interruption shields, Figure out your environment, like how formal or informal, and just have them in your back pocket. Start thinking about the phrases that feel viscerally comfortable to you to jump back in the conversation or to even interrupt. So say you have a thought, an idea, and you want to get credit for it because it's your brilliant idea. You would you would then say, I want to raise a point here, right? So these are phrases that you start to use. And I have a chapter in my book specifically referring to interruption shields. Wow. I love the I love that idea. Uh, of having these predetermined phrases that you can use to help you and you can practice them, right? So you're more comfortable when you do have the opportunity to use them. But 
also the fact that you stated going back to the original conversation, you know, or coming back so that you have the opportunity to make your point instead of just the, the conversation uh, just keep moving and not even include or disregard what you have previously stated. Yes, I think it's really important just to, it's like a muscle, a muscle you want to flex. And for some of us, it's so uncomfortable that if we don't constantly practice, it's really challenging. So one of the other things I have is I have an accountability partner. I She's a friend of mine and she's also South Asian, she's Indian. And we actually text each other. It can be a two second text where it's just like, hey, I just spoke up about or, and we just give ourselves sort of that pat on the back. And also we hold each other accountable for, for being our own cheerleaders in situations where it's really challenging to be your own cheerleader. Okay, let's talk about the problem. You just stated a solution with the accountability. Right. Can you give us a problem, uh, an example of a problem and how and why would we use it uh, in accountability partner? Yeah, perfect. So the problem is it's really hard for me to speak up. So uh, in a personal setting, so my partner is not Indian. He's American, he's Caucasian. And sometimes I notice like, because I was taught to not rock the boat, because I was taught to just, you know, do what everyone else wants for the sake of group harmony, which is very much collective culture. And so if he says to me, hey, let's go have Thai food, and I really don't want to eat Thai food, I won't speak up. So and he can tell it on my face. He's like, do you really want uh, Thai food? And I'm like, no, 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 I actually want pizza. So the idea is that he's even my accountability partner. I've told him like, this is a part of my culture. And it's very challenging for me to speak up. So hold me accountable. If you notice that I'm just going with the flow and that's not what I really want to do, like speak up and share with me like, no, what do you really want? So the accountability partner can come in many forms. It can be someone at work. It can be someone personally. And so the accountability partner I have with my girlfriend, sometimes we just message and say, hey, I just spoke up that I wanted pizza instead of Thai food. And I know that sounds so silly to some folks who don't struggle with speaking up, but speaking up in any capacity, we recognize each other for that. And we, we sort of applaud each other's efforts. And that's why an accountability partner is really important. That's a great idea. You know, we've heard about having accountability partners for a lot of things, right? Or right. Uh, professionally, you know, uh, hey, let's reach this goal together. Right. Let me make sure you fulfill the uh, and finish the task that you said you were going to complete this week. And we also have it in personal settings, such as working out. You know, you have your accountability yes. that goes and works out with you. But I have never heard of having an accountability partner for those little small things in your life or what we may consider small, but really they're really big for us, you know. So right. speaking up is big. For some people that some other people might say, oh, that's a little thing. So there's a mm -hmm. way to use accountability partners for the so-called small things to help build you up and build up your confidence. Right. Absolutely. So it's like how you practice, you can practice personally, and that will help you feel more comfortable to practice in a conference room, in a meeting, to practice at work or in any institution that you work in. So you talked about some um, your book and how people have stated, hey, these are some challenges that all women uh, have challenges with, particularly women of color. Let's talk about some other challenges that exist that you feel like are um, that many women, no matter what their backgrounds face and what your solution uh, may be. 
you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like all women struggle with celebrating small wins. And I think specifically, if I look through the the lens of AAPI culture, you know, our, we were not told in verbal, anything verbally about, hey, I'm so proud of you. Those words just don't come out of our parents' mouths. And so what happens is we don't actually know how to celebrate success. So I remember as a child, if I came home and I got a 95 on a test, my parents' first reaction would be, well, what happened to those five points? Mm -hmm. And so you just start programming to think like, what is success? How do I measure success? And it's usually towards perfection, which is, which is, not the best way to live life, right? So I think one of the struggles of AAPI women is just not just AAPI women, but I think AAPI professionals and AAI people is that we weren't modeled the behavior of celebrating small successes. And if we can't do that, we cannot be our own cheerleaders. And it's something I've I've noticed with other cultures with women and underrepresented women is that we're, we, there's, we carry a lot of burden in our homes, a lot of responsibilities. And so oftentimes we just do things and we don't recognize the effort and we don't recognize the resilient moments that we we've all had in order to get through certain things. So I say celebrating small successes is the first way to start. So let's talk about some of those small successes. You uh, suggest that women celebrate in the personal and in the professional. Right. So if we think of like a link or a chain, because I'm a very visual person. So I think of a chain with links. And so if you think of that one chain as a huge success or a huge win, it can be writing a book, it could be going through a divorce, it could be whatever you, a huge accomplishment that you've gone through and taking moments to actually recognize like what are the, each of the links that happened, had to happen to have that macro successful moment. And I think just that exercise of creating that chain and writing down like, hey, I actually had to do this and this and this in order for this accomplishment. And the accomplishments can be positive. And sometimes we think of divorce as a negative thing, but it's something huge that we go through, mm-hmm. right? So thinking about challenges in our life and accomplishments and really thinking about all of the micro moments that took and that resilient micro moments, I think for us as underrepresented women to do that for ourselves regularly is probably a great way to start being our own cheerleader. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I learned that personally uh, from pursuing my PhD Um one of the things you have to do as a historian is have these compre- what we call comprehensive exams where you read 250, 300 books and then you have a oral examination on the on the readings. And um, I remember finishing and I was like, and they said, you passed. And that was it. You know, it, it was like, you mean I've read all these books and it's just, you pass, where are the, where are the cheerleaders? Where, where, you know, where are the balls? Where is, where is everybody? And I totally agree with you that that's a big accomplishment and we have to figure out how to celebrate ourselves in those big accomplishments and the small ones along the way. So at that moment is when I decided I would always celebrate no matter what it was. So I found different ways. I have some chocolate, supreme chocolate in the freezer that I pull out on those little small occasions. I love that. Whether it was a successful conversation, meeting with a a prospect or client, 
or whether, hey, um, I actually uh, finished this project and it was well received by the client, whatever it is, find ways to celebrate yourselves instead of just waiting for the big win. What are the little small wins? Like you said, I love the visual of the chain. Each one of those links is a step and you, we have to find ways to celebrate ourselves. And sometimes waking up and just getting through the day is a big win. And so if we think about all the things that had to happen for us to just get out of bed and to be a productive member of society for that day, that's actually a huge win. And I don't think we all think about it that way. And if you struggle with mental health and mental well-being, you know that some days are more challenging than others. And so just even getting up, hey, I brushed my teeth. I took a shower. Those are all small wins to celebrate as well. So we're, you know, we can talk about those macro day accomplishments and we can also talk about those micro accomplishments. Yep. And, and totally agree with you. And, and we do have times where it's hard to get out of bed and we have to just take that step and each step is, uh, should be celebrated, especially when you have a traumatic experience and, or you, like you said, may suffer from mental health issues where, you know, it's a challenge daily that each day, you know, celebrate yourself and find a way to recognize when you've done some, uh, uh, done something great for yourself and in your life. You know, it doesn't have to be those big, big achievements. Thank you so much for sharing those challenges and potential solutions. So I'm sure uh, we've given enough appetizer that we can, uh, people would be <laughs> interested in purchasing your book, Be Your Own Cheerleader, which I think uh, is something we all need in, in order to make sure that we reach our fullest potential, right? That we have to also be focused on the I, but don't forget the we. I, I love that. I love that. Um, mm -hmm. So if anybody... Um, so before we end our interview, can you tell us what those, give us three steps that you think people uh, should um, be engaged in, in order to make sure that they are um, being diligent about being their own cheerleader? So I would say, think about that speedometer, right? That we, the I, navigating between the two based on the context you're in. The second I would say is interruption shields, figure out those words or phrases that you can start practicing. And the third, celebrate small wins, because that is our first step to being a, our own cheerleader. And if anybody wants to get in contact with you or learn more about your uh, you and your work or even uh, purchase your book, what would they do? So you can purchase Be Your Own Cheerleader on Amazon and my website, neelucora.com. And I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can connect with me on Neelu at neelucora on LinkedIn. So Neelu, we are big advocates here on the Empowerment Zone for higher education. And so a lot of times... We look back on our college careers and say, oh, I wish I would have known this. Or I wish I would have done that. So in this portion of our interview, I'd like to uh, know what strategy would you give students to ensure that they're successful in college? And could you please begin by saying uh, what college or colleges did you attend? 
what were your majors, and then what were your degrees, and then what is that strategy you would provide students to ensure that they're in co- uh, successful in college? Perfect. So undergrad, I went to NYU Stern School of Business. Okay. Grad school, I went to Columbia. Excuse me. Excuse me. NYU. Everybody doesn't know that that's New oh, okay. York State University. So yes. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Yes. New York University uh, undergrad. See how I'm challenged with talking about myself. It feels a little bit <laughs> right now. So, so um, Stern School of Business undergrad and then grad school. I went to Columbia University and have my master's in social and organizational psychology. Right. And the third question was, what would I do? Yes. What strategy would yes. you give students to make sure they're successful in college? Speak up. Speak up, ask as many questions as you can. This is a this is a place where you can learn and develop. And if you find yourself being silenced, even in the classroom, if the loudest voice is asking questions, use those interruption shields, ask as many questions as you like. This is the place to ask those questions. This is the place for learning. And I think if I had to do it over again, I would definitely be more of an active participant instead of uh, you know, more silenced, especially in some of the classrooms where I felt I was an only you know, the only Indian, I didn't want to, you know, bring that up or bring attention to that. So I say, bring your full and authentic self and ask as many questions as you can. I love it. Be an active participant in your learning experience by making sure you show up authentically and most of all that you speak up. Thank you so much. A special thank you to the incredible team of the Empowerment Zone. Terry Ann Gully, theme song, NADWorks, digital support, and of course, our featured guest, 